and he is risen. That was, I don't know. That's, that's the thing. We kind of say it like it's a sports cheer. But in reality, we're talking about Jesus Christ who was nailed to a cross. Everyone thought it's all over. He is in the grave. And then all of a sudden he appears again. Like that's what we're talking about. I'm like, he is risen. He is risen indeed. And I know we can't maybe have that same heart that they had like the first day that they saw them. And even we'll see, they were shocked. They, they weren't like, yeah. They were like, what is going on? If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke 24, starting in verses 33 in, in just a moment here. We've been going through Genesis as a church for the past while, but last Saturday we turned our attention to the Gospel of Luke. And I kind of asked this overarching this question, who has the power? Where is power found? There are a lot of power struggles these days, a lot of people seeking power. We looked last Saturday evening that there's power in service. Jesus is our example. The disciples like, hey, who's the greatest among us? He said, the greatest among you will be the servant. And then Jesus gave that example, right? Washed his disciples' feet, God incarnate. We also saw the example of Jesus at Gethsemane facing the cross, taking the Father's punishment for our sins. He got down and prayed. There's power in prayer. As we met together for Good Friday, we saw there is power in his sacrifice, power to save sinners. And now as we reflect on, think on his resurrection, I want us to see that he has power over death and sin. Jesus holds the power, our risen Savior reigns supreme. In Luke 24, Luke records kind of three resurrection stories. We're going to talk about the third. I just want to let you know about the other two. Anthony read the first one, right? But the women who are with Jesus, ministering with him in Galilee, supporting his ministry, they came to the, empty, to the tomb expecting to see him. They had spices prepared, and then the angels appeared to them. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. I love every time I read that in Scripture. I don't know about if you write in your Bible. I just keep underlining it. If I get a new Bible, I'm like, I got to remember that. He is risen. He is not here. One of, the, one of the ladies who, who saw that, Mary Magdalene, we read about her in Luke 8, verse 3. She had seven demons in her. Jesus cast out seven demons from her. Ever after that, she's, she's following Jesus. And so these women were the first eyewitnesses. They didn't see the risen Lord in Luke's account. But they were the first eyewitnesses going around and telling people, he's not there. He is risen. This is going to be an overarching theme we're going to see here this morning the eyewitnesses. And then the second account of Jesus' resurrection, if you have spent any time in the church, you've surely heard of it. Jesus meets two disciples on the road to Emmaus. These two guys are, are leaving Jerusalem, following the crucifixion, dumbfounded, going to Emmaus. is seven miles away. So as they're walking, Jesus joins them. Their eyes are kind of hidden. They can't see Jesus is actually with them. They have this conversation. Then Jesus unpacks things in the Old Testament saying, hey, this is why the Messiah had to suffer. And as they're talking and as they move, they invite Jesus to come and stay with them. And they, Jesus breaks bread and gives thanks. And when he does, all of a sudden, they, it's Jesus. They see him and he's gone. So that's the second account. And now, after that happened, those two disciples, they returned back to Jerusalem. This was like late at night. The sun had already set. 
Once that happens, immediately they're, they're starting their trekking back. And then the story begins in verse 33. We're going to see when those two disciples from Emmaus got back to Jerusalem. This is going to be the third resurrection account. So we're going to be looking this morning at verses 33 to 49. If you want to stand with me as we read God's word. We do that in our church just to, to honor. This is the holy word of God. Be reading verses 33 to 49. And they rose, this is the two disciples, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is I myself, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city till you are clothed with power from on high. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. I've titled this message, Power Over Sin and Death, and kind of a subtitle is, Can I Get a Witness? And really, those are going to be like my sermon points, if you will, in my title. But if you want to look back here, verse 33 to 35, how they just made their way back to Jerusalem. Again, they, they, were, they made it to Emmaus. They broke bread. All of a sudden, Jesus appears. They're like, and he's gone. And they're like, we, we got to go back and tell the disciples. So they go back, seven-mile walk. And so they, this must have been late at night as they made it amongst the disciples and verse 33, and they arose the same hour, returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together. John's gospel has in John 20, verse 19, that the doors were locked because they were fearing the Jews, the ones who had just sent the, their, their Lord and Messiah to the cross. And so they were gathered together, but the door was locked. So they had to come in, knock, hey, hey, it's us. Yeah, we just, we just came back from Emmaus. So they let them in, and they found the eleven, Right? Because Judas is no longer with them. Now it's not the 12, it's the 11. And those who are with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. And has appeared to Simon, talking about Peter. So the, the group that they all of a sudden come in amongst, before they can share their news, they're like, Hey, hey, the Lord appeared to Simon. Which we don't have, actually have in any gospel account when that happened. Paul records in 1 Corinthians 15, all the 
times that the risen Lord Jesus appeared to people, and he simply says he appeared to Cephas. That's another uh, name of Simon's. So we don't know what happened there, but hey, they kind of jumped on them with their news, and then the, the two disciples from Emmaus, they wanted to share how excited they, they were. Then they told what had happened on the road, how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So they saw the risen Lord Jesus, then they became witnesses. This is, this is a theme. The, the, the women who went to the tomb, empty tomb, he wasn't there, they left, and they're like, we need to tell people about this. The two people on the road to Emmaus, they saw Jesus, they left. We need to tell people about this, and that's what they did. And as they were telling the disciples about this, you can imagine how shocked, how excited everyone was. We have here in verse 36, I want you to see in verse 36 to 43, Jesus has the power over death. Verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. I love it. Jesus appears, Peace to you. One commentator notes this is just a common greeting. It was shalom, like peace, well-being. May you be blessed. Why do, you, why do you say peace to you? Every time an angel appears, almost every time in the Bible, the angel always says, hey, don't be afraid. Why? Because they were, everyone was afraid. You could imagine, right, the doors were locked. They saw their leader crucified days before. They were scared. I don't know about you, like, I jump when someone comes and startles me who's alive that I don't expect to see. I don't know, like, I, I jump anyways, let alone, like, they saw him crucified on the cross. They're talking about him all of a sudden. He's like, there he is. Peace to you. Have peace in your hearts. They were scared. Jesus had to, had to walk them through it. Right in verse 38, and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet? It is I myself, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And, and when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. How, just think about this for a, mo a moment. The resurrected Lord Jesus bears the marks of the cross. How humbling is that? But Jesus goes and he shows them where the marks are. See, see and touch. But they didn't get it. They were so confused. But what is also, what's he doing when he's saying, hey, like, touch me? He's showing, I'm alive. Even though they're seeing him, they had to be convinced that I'm alive. Verse 41, though, says, Well, they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Other translations, they did not believe because of joy and amazement. Or they're amazed and disbelieved because of their joy. Like they're, they're wrestling through what their eyes are seeing, what their brains are thinking. Like it's, they're seeing something, their brains are saying no. They're like happy and scared, like fully at the same time. Right? Like overjoyed, it's the risen Lord Jesus, but you're dead. How, what is happening? Trying to figure it out, trying to compute through it. So Jesus, trying to, trying to help them out, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. And it's not that like Jesus 
was hungry, he needed a snack, but he was showing them, like, I have a physical body, like, touch me. Do you have any food? I'm eating food. Again, he's showing them, I am alive. I'm alive. But maybe any fisherman out there, like, yeah, like Jesus, he asked for fish. That's what, that's what he got. That's, sorry, that's like bad hermeneutics exegesis. But Jesus got fish, but he was just eating it to show them, hey, I am alive. I'm physically here with you. But think about this, like, why were they hidden again in a place with doors locked? Because they feared what would happen to them. They feared the Jews. Why were they scared? They were scared to die, as their Savior had a few days previous. They feared death. Death is a powerful motivator. Is it not? Like, aren't we running away from it? Where did death come from? We, we, if you've been with us, has been going through Genesis, Genesis 2, 17. God put Adam in the garden. And he's like, you can eat from any tree, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you cannot eat. And he said, the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And they ate of it, and sin entered the world. And they died spiritually, and then following that, physical death came in. So sin brought about death. Sin leads to death. That's a powerful tool of the devil, death. Does our world fear death? We fear getting old. Many do. We fear getting sick. And and I'm quite sure we fear dying. The last couple years have shown those last two points on steroids. People will do anything to keep death away, keep sickness away. I think if we had an ongoing ticker on our phones, on any app, the number of car crashes that people die from, I don't know how many people would not get in a vehicle anymore. Like death is a part of life, but for sure people fear death. Do you fear death? Here in Luke 24, you have the risen one, Jesus, standing among them as a conqueror of death. This is the first time in history someone was raised never to die again. We have other examples in Scripture where people were raised from the dead. Just a few examples in in 1 Kings 17, 22, you have uh, the widow's son dying. Elijah prays for this widow's son. The son comes back to life. In Mark 41, you have Jairus, his daughter, was 12 years old. She died. Jesus prayed for her. She came back to life. And of course, the well-known, maybe more so story, you have Lazarus, who was dead for four days. Jesus called him out. He, he comes back to life. The only thing with all of those people is they died again. And think about how hard that must have been. I just think of Lazarus. He's like, not again. <laughs> like he, he experienced death four days dead, alive. And then he died again. And then he died again. But no, not Jesus, right? I want us to just think and, and kind of pull out the theology, show you the importance that Jesus rose again from the grave, defeated death out of other scriptures here in the Bible. Jesus conquered death. Acts 2.24, Peter proclaimed this, God raised him up, 
loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It was not possible for death to hold him. Romans 6, 23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. But Jesus never sinned. Death could not hold him. Apostle Paul wrote, 2 Timothy 1.10, he wrote of the appearing of our Lord, appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Think about how amazing this is. I just want to draw your attention to 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22. The reason I, I bring you all these different scriptures, I want to say, hey, this isn't my opinion. This is what scripture teaches. This is what God tells us. So 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22, Paul wrote, For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And just turning our attention to John's gospel, Jesus, before he raised Lazarus, he was talking with Martha about her brother being dead. Having this conversation in John eleven twenty five to 26, Jesus said this to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He asked her, do you believe this? And I would ask you, do you believe this? How amazing that is. Even at the end of John's gospel, when John talks about why he wrote this book, John 20, verse 31, John said this, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You may have life. The one who conquered death gives life. Life that will never fade, that will never perish. We're talking about eternal life. And how can he give that? Because he conquered death. This news of, of, of eternal life, it's good news for all, all who believe in Jesus. It seems to be better news the older you get. How about you, you know, the, the younger you are, like, yeah, yeah okay, yeah, there's, there's a resurrected life. You lose loved ones who, who know the Lord, you're like, ah, I anticipate that day that I will see them again. The older we get, we not only anticipate the resurrection, we, we anticipate the, our resurrection bodies. Again, just going back there to 1 Corinthians 15, this is what we have as Jesus defeated death. As he rose, one day we will rise and be with him. And, and Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 57. When the perishable, like when your body is no more, puts on the imperishable, the resurrected body, and the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, if you are in Jesus, you needn't fear death. It's not like we're, we're running towards it, but it's part of life. But if we are following Jesus, the one who conquered death, 
We don't have anything to fear. We have life in him. Jesus rose again, proclaiming power over death. Those who believe in him and follow him have life in him, life that death can never touch. So whatever happens in life, for sure, we shouldn't be the ones fearing death if you are in Christ. Going back here to this passage in Luke, the resurrected Jesus stood among them, but they didn't get it yet. Right? We say, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Jesus stood among them and said, I am risen. And they're like, are you? Are, are you? <laughs> really? They're, they're questioning. They didn't get it. At all. I don't know about you. If you see someone in the wrong context, and this is, doesn't even compare, but this happens to me. The other day I was at the dog pool. I'm sitting in the sauna and I saw this guy and I hadn't seen him for a long time, but I wasn't thinking that I would see him in a sauna. I knew him from basketball years previous. And he's like, Chris? I'm like, who? I have no idea who this person is. Because I wasn't expecting to see him somewhere totally different. They saw Jesus crucified on the cross, put in the grave, they're in a room. They were not expecting to see Jesus. He shows up and they're just like, what is going on? But Jesus continues to walk them through that in his kindness. I want you to see verses 44 to 47, how this is planned all along. The proof is in the scripture. It wasn't like plan B. Oh, I, oh the Messiah got crucified. Okay, what are we going to do now? Jesus is like, no, it's looking scripture. I'm going to show you this has been the plan all along. He begins. I love this. And he, he said to them, verse 44, and he said to them, these are my words I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Don't you guys remember? He says it a number of times in Luke's gospel. I'll just bring your attention to Luke 18, verses 31 to 34. My Bible says this is the third time Jesus tells them this is going to happen. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. They didn't get it. My dad taught calculus as his job. I just imagine so many people left his class in the same way the disciple Jesus is like, hey, this is going to happen. They're like, what? Just like all the students in my dad's calculus class, what was he talking about? <laughs> I think that happened often. It would have happened to me, I'm sure. So that's what was happening. So Jesus, is in his kindness, he's like, hey, don't you, don't you remember everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms? It must be fulfilled. I love that. Not maybe, not hopefully. No, what's written in the word of God must be fulfilled. What God said will happen will happen. And when he refers there to the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, he's referring to the entire Old Testament scripture. So one commentator, Leon Morris, says this. This indicates there is no part of scripture that does not bear its witness to Jesus. So one, one thing I just want to pull out of here really quick. Read the Old Testament. 
Right? Jesus is about to say, hey, everything that's written in the Psalms and the prophets, the law of Moses must be fulfilled. That's the entire Old Testament. The, the Old Testament's 80% of our Bible. Again, that's not an accident. So we should read the Old Testament, spend time in it, looking forward to Jesus. You're in the Old Testament, you're looking towards Jesus. You're in the New Testament, you're looking back to Jesus. But think in the Old Testament how obvious it is, there's the, the, the Passover, the killing of the, the Passover lamb, and then Jesus died on the Passover. Like there's these correlations we shouldn't miss. There's Moses, and Moses in Deuteronomy 18 says a, a greater one is coming, a prophet. That was, that was Jesus, he came and fulfilled it. It talks about one coming right from the line of Judah, from the lineage of David. Did Jesus fulfill that? We could go on and on. As you read through the Old Testament, like, oh, that's, that's pointing to Jesus. It's not that we find Jesus in, in every single like, letter and comma, but he is there often pointing towards what he's gonna come. In the Old Testament, we have Jesus concealed. In the New Testament, Jesus revealed. In verse 45, it says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. It's like the best Bible study ever. Jesus is walking with you through the Old Testament. This is, yeah, this is talking about me. This is talking about me. Like that would have been amazing. Friends, if you are a believer, we have the Holy Spirit and an understanding of spiritual things. As it says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12, it says this, First Corinthians 2, 12. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. In reading scripture, you need the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus was giving them understanding to the scripture, that's what we have in the Holy Spirit. Of course, we still need to study. We still need to read. You're not gonna like just flip to an Old Testament book and know the background of what the prophets were talking about. We still do that study, but the Spirit gives us understanding. In the Scripture, just as Jesus was giving the disciples understanding, opening their minds to the Scripture. In verse 46, and he said to them, Thus it is written, it is written, point to the Scriptures, that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead. So he takes them into the Old Testament. Where, where did he take them? To prove that the the Christ, the Messiah, must suffer. I'm just going to take you to a few places. I bet you he, he took them to more. I think for sure, as we, we read on Friday, he took them to Isaiah 53. The book of Isaiah, written like 700 years before Jesus. Just reading a few verses from there, that the Messiah would suffer. Isaiah 53, 3 verse 7, or 3 to 7. He was despised and rejected by men. Just think, does this speak of Jesus? A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. We could keep reading. For sure he went to Isaiah 53. See, it's written about me, the Christ must suffer. Maybe another place he would have just taken them quickly. Psalm 41 verse 9 says this, even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. This that's speaking of Judas. He was betrayed by him. For sure he went to Psalm 22. Where it begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said it from the cross. Like if I said, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, you would know what book I'm talking about. The Jews just hearing the start of that psalm. Oh, he's talking about Psalm 22. Look at verses 7 to 8 if you're there with me. Psalm 22. Does this sound like what happened at the cross? All who seek me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Verses 14 to 18. Does this sound like the crucifixion? Again, written by David, so a thousand years before Jesus came. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Like for sure speaks of Jesus. Psalm 22. The thing though, even though in the Old Testament it was these things were taught concerning the Messiah, they just, they couldn't see it because they thought he was going to come as the conquering king. They thought he was going to come victorious. So to read that the, their Messiah, the chosen one of God, was going to suffer. So Jesus had to walk them through. But not only, they, it says in the Old Testament, he's going to suffer, but it also says he's going to rise again. Just take you through a few places. Where would he have shown them there? Well, in, in Matthew, in Luke, Matthew 12, 40, Jesus says, hey, just as you have the, the sign of Jonah, who is in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so you have uh, that Jesus will be in the heart of the earth. The sign of Jonah. He also would have taken them to Psalm 16, 10. It says this, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You will not let my body see corruption. Apostle Paul quoted this in Acts 13, 35, speaking of Jesus rising again from the grave. And again, if we went back to Isaiah 53, he also would have quoted there, among other places, these places that the Messiah would not stay down. He would rise again. But that was not all the message he was sharing with them. Thus, it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. I just want to take that for a moment. The fact that his name would be proclaimed to all nations. We see this in the Old Testament. This look towards at, the, at some time in the future, this word's going to go out to all nations. In Genesis 12, 3, speaking to Abraham, and you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Paul unpacks that for us in Galatians 3, 8, and 9, just saying, yeah, that, this is fulfilled in Jesus. This is how all nations are blessed, by believing in Jesus Christ. Going back there to Isaiah 49, verse 6, 
looking at one of the servant psalms, there's all these uh, servant songs in Isaiah, often speaking of the Messiah. It says this, Isaiah 49, 6. Is it too light a thing that you should, you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Right? God's intention in the Old Testament, the Messiah is going to come. It's gonna, this message is going to spread to all the nations. In Joel 2.32, Joel wrote, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul picks up that passage in Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Going to all nations. This was the message they were to bring. That the Messiah should suffer on the third day rise again from the grave. That repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name. Forgiveness of sins in his name. He's showing, I want you to see here now, that he has power over sin. He has power over death. He has power over sin. Sin, if we would just quickly define it, like turning away from God's will, saying, I want to do what I want to do, and I want to do it now. He said we can be forgiven of our sin, our rebellion against God. Forgiveness of sin in his name. 1 Timothy 1.15 said Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came. That's, that's good news. If you're a sinner, if you're not a sinner, you don't have to hear that for sinners like me. That's good news. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. In Acts 4.12, it says salvation is in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given by which men, men and women can be saved. Forgiveness for our sins. Even this, this, this message that they had, I want you to see, I'm going to give you a few examples. The disciples took it and proclaimed it. Just looking there first at Peter, he said this, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on the tree. What does he have? The Messiah died. He rose again. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. This is going to be the message that they received. He died, he rose again. There's forgiveness of sins available in his name. Why? Why is that available? Because he has power over sin, because he paid the debt for sin on the cross. Right? As we looked at on Friday on the cross, darkness fell. He took the punishment for us. He paid our debt for sin, death. A debt that we couldn't take on ourselves, also the punishment from the Father to pay it, it would be eternity in hell. So you think if you sin against an eternal God, punishment is eternal. Like this is what we're looking at, trying to wrap our minds around that. Maybe it's hard to just think about in terms of finances. I don't know, if, has anyone ever seen the U.S. debt clock? And the only reason I'm saying U.S. debt clock is because it's bigger than ours. We have one that's moving fast too. The numbers are quickly moving. 30 trillion and increasing. Imagine if somehow that got put on you as an individual. Now, now you need to pay. I, it's, it's such a number, it just crushes you, right? You can't even begin to comprehend it. It's not payable. That is a picture of our sin before God. We can't meet the demands. But Jesus, but Jesus died on the cross. He took that debt upon himself 
for me and for you, and then he rose again. And all who believe in his name, repent of their sins, turn towards him, are forgiven. That's amazing. I just don't think we get how big that debt is that was paid for us. God doesn't turn a blind eye on sin, ah, yeah, whatever. He doesn't just flippantly say, yeah, yeah, whatever, it's all forgiven. But we can be forgiven because Christ paid in full for our sins, for our punishment. And then he rose again, defeating death, defeating sin. That's our, our king, our conquering king. We can be forgiven. Just like Paul was in, in the New Testament, Paul, the one who, at first, he was like gonna kill Christians, right? That's what he was about, because he was a faithful Jew, and there's this upstart sect of the Nazarenes, and he's like, this isn't right, let's, let's kill them, let's stone them, let's throw them to jail. That was what he was about, and then he was shown grace, he was forgiven. It's another example, there was a woman named Lydia, and she heard the good news and God opened her eyes and she believed. And she was forgiven her sins in his name. Just think about any among us, anyone who's, say, an alcoholic who just needs to turn to the bottle all the time, just can't stop drinking that, but surrendering their life to Jesus Christ can put the bottle down and raise their hands up to the glory of God, be forgiven. A young person among us who, who just say, I just want to live for myself, it's about me, and then sees the risen Lord Jesus Christ, surrenders and say, no, it's about him. It's about others. We can be forgiven. A religious person among us who like, hey, you got to always hold your Bible like this. You always have to say your prayers this length. You always have to go to church so we can please God. You're like, no, we can't do anything. He has done it all. And he rose again from the grave, and that person can be forgiven too. Be forgiven for our, our gossip, our lusts, our anger, addictions, our lying, our stealing, our, our idolatry, putting things in front of God. Oh, he's so merciful and he's so kind. Do you know what I'm talking about? What is your testimony? Our Savior has risen. My sins have been forgiven. Like, take that to heart. Maybe for some of you, you're hearing like, so what? So what, Jesus rose again from the grave. I just want to continue on with the story in Luke 24. So the apostles had this clear message given to them from the risen Lord. He suffered, he died, he is raised to life, and now they're going to proclaim in his name forgiveness of sins. Like that was the message. And how were they to do it? In verses 48 and 49, they're to be witnesses by his power. He says, you are witnesses of these things. Like, you saw what happened on the cross. You see me now. You are my witnesses. And he says this in 49, And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He says, go and wait until the Spirit comes. And again, they're probably like, okay. Like, what? what? What are you really talking about? They didn't know. But they had the blueprint, they had the message. Even we see there in Luke's gospel, hey, from Jerusalem to the nations. In Acts chapter 1, 8, it kind of gets a little bit more detailed. Jesus says, take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea, 
to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, kind of like from Red Deer to Alberta to Canada to the world. This is where the gospel is going to go. But as they're waiting, there's 120 of them. If you know the book of Acts, 120 of them waiting in an upper room, praying, waiting. And then the Holy Spirit came down upon them in power. And filled with the Holy Spirit, then Peter goes and proclaims the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And as the people are hearing it, they're like, what should we do? In Acts 2.38, he says, repent and believe in Jesus Christ and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Turn to Jesus. I already mentioned the Apostle Paul as the book of Acts are going through and Paul gets saved. Like if God can save Paul, he can save anyone. In the book of Acts, it starts in Jerusalem. A, a church is birthed. It ends in Rome. The gospel goes out. Many believe. Again, what was their message? I could take you through. If we had more time. Their message was Jesus died. He suffered. He went in the grave. He rose again. And now in his name, we proclaim forgiveness of sins. Not a priest. Not a practice, not a certain prayer you need to pray. Believe in Jesus Christ. Put your life in his hands. You can be forgiven. That was the message they proclaimed. It's amazing as you read the book of Acts. But friends, the apostles are dead. <laughs> they did their part. They passed the message on to the next generation, the next generation of witnesses. The apostles are dead. Jesus is alive. He's still building his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you believe in the risen Lord Jesus? If you can say yes, then we are to be his witnesses. We are to be his witnesses. In John's gospel, you know you have Thomas who, who wasn't with the group that we read about, and so he didn't believe. And Thomas says, I need to see and touch Jesus' hands in order to believe. Jesus, in his mercy, comes around him. And he believes, but Jesus says this, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Is that, that's my testimony. I have not seen Jesus, I have believed. Scripture says we're blessed. We are blessed. We are to be his witnesses now. How do you describe being a witness? It can be as simple as, I, I was blind and now I see. Let me tell you about my Jesus. I was, I was spiritually dead, now I've been given spiritual life. My, my message I'll just put out to people, I grew up in, in Red Deer, I got in, in a lot of trouble as a young person, but Jesus drastically changed my life. Just trying to open up an opportunity to witness for my Savior. If you have experienced the saving grace of the risen Lord, then the calling on your life is to be a witness for Him. You have his spirit. You have the message. He died. He was buried. He rose again. There's forgiveness of sins in his name. This is the message we all have. What could this look like as we leave this place? It could be, I don't know if you're going and, and getting a big family meal. People are like, hey, why are you late? You're like, man, the pastor, he just kept preaching. But let me tell you what he's preaching about. You can use that as an opportunity to share with people. It could be as you, as you sit around the Easter meal, and you're like, let me, let me tell you why this day is important to me. It could be 
meeting with coworkers in the week to come. Can I, like, can I tell you why, why Easter weekend is like the most important Christian celebration? Like, do you know? I also want to just share this one more thing. As witnesses, parents with young children, be a witness to our children on why we celebrate Easter. It's because Jesus rose again from the grave. A number of years ago, I was teaching in a, a children's uh, Sunday school class, and, and Easter's coming up, and I said, hey, guys, like, what do you think of when you think of Easter? These little kids, four rows, five rows, and they're like, the Easter bunny. Chocolate. That, that's the witness we can give our children. I love chocolate. <laughs> I'll get 365 days a year. Absolutely. But friends, we need to teach our children. What kind of witness are we giving our children? What's the point of Easter? Forget the Easter bunny. Jesus Christ rose again from the grave. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Can he get a witness? I pray that as we walk through the end of the Gospel of Luke, you have seen that Jesus is the one who holds the power. There's power in his sacrifice to save sinners. In his resurrection, power over death and sin. Can he get a witness? We are to be his witnesses. If you'll bow with me, I'd like to close this word in prayer. Oh, Holy Father. Lord, I'm, I'm just filled with joy and fear in preaching your word. Again, I just, I just pray, Lord, that which is from you, seal it in our hearts. Fill our hearts overflowing with joy of your resurrection. I pray those who are with us, Lord, who do not know you, may you draw them by your spirit, by your love, and by your mercy uh, to yourself. Oh, God, give us eyes to see those around us who need to hear about what you've done. Use each one of us to be a witness, Lord wherever you send us today, in the weeks, months, years ahead, that we would do our part and make your name known. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.